Welcome to the Motoring Podcast, your weekly discussion of motoring news. This is episode 278 on Tuesday, the 1st of October, 2019. Hello, I'm Alan. Hello, I'm Andrew. And in a week where idiots use a half-baked product that doesn't work and are shocked with the results, that could actually be us this week, we'll be asking, (laughs) how does one get compensated when there appears to be no loss? We also ask how supporting a sports ball team can cost you with car insurance. And we find out if we can remember some forgotten cars. But first, it feels like we should have the song and the beat goes on at the minute. It feels like this is the happy place tonight, to be perfectly honest. Yes, but it is Dieselgate. And it is the news that the largest ever German class action style case has opened up. Now, the laws were changed in Germany following Dieselgate to enable a class action case because I think it was only that people had to individually take the Volkswagen. In this example, they would have individually had Mm -hmm. to take Volkswagen to court each time, which then would mean that people go, oh no, I can't afford that because Volkswagen just swamped them with very expensive lawyers and fees. This is opened and there is 470 odd thousand diesel car owners who signed up to this case apparently. But the presiding judge, Michael Neef, said on Monday that uh, drivers have been able to use their car, leaving, and quote, the central issue, close quote, uh, of what they actually lost. <laughs> <laughs> so he's saying, I'm not sure that you've actually need, can be compensated because you're not really losing out on anything, yeah. which is, which <laughs> so- is good to know that we feel the same as the presiding judge. <laughs> Well, no, the, the opening point here is don't be expecting millions out of this, lads. Yes. You, you, you know, you're obviously still getting some use out of your cars. This is not going to, this is not going to mean that you can leave work and retire to the Cayman Islands. <laughs> We've always said since the individual or the, the, the consumer cases came against VW, we've always said no one has lost out in Europe. Because the cars yeah. still work, they've still got them, or they've been able to sell them back to Volkswagen, mm-hmm. and there's been they they've not lost out on secondhand prices. Well, no, the values haven't been hit at all. In fact, if you haven't had your car diesel gate post diesel gated, it's probably worth more. Be interesting to see how this one goes out, and I and I'm, there's, there's lawyers, ambulance chasing lawyers all over the the continent with fingers and toes crossed. It comes out their mm-hmm. way. Because the challenge is that if, uh, you know, if Germany, then that will probably have quite possibly have a knock-on effect. Yeah. But we'll see what happens. It's, I mean, that's Switzerland. I guess I was going to say across the continent, Switzerland, Australia, and Belgium. And it is Australia, not Austria, uh, where there are other lawsuits. Kind of new news, but not entirely new news. The Bloodhound... Uh, LSR it is now. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the, of course, the land speed record... Uh, car is going through its uh, its final tests in the UK uh, before being shipped out to Namibia, uh, where it'll be it'll be uh, I'm sure it's it's Namibia or South Africa, one of the two. South Africa. Sorry, that was no. I I read something about it being the problem being slowing down again, and uh, if they don't slow down, first of all the sand dunes, and then there's Namibia. That's what that's what it was that <laughs> brought that into my mind before going out to South Africa to for to actually. I think it's got to go out to South Africa and do some trial runs first to just 
see that it's working and then and then go on from there yeah they're going they're going out there to do some uh, to get some data analysis and then from that they can check that mm-hmm. their computer simulation has accurately predicted things and if not then they they'll have to step back and look at why and then will that affect them moving forward etc cetera, etc cetera. but uh, just a, a, as a sneak peek to something from the motoring podcast in very soon actually but uh, Mark Chapman, the engineering director, may or may not, well, no, may, he will be coming from the Motion Podcast not too long from now, actually. I didn't know that. That's awesome news. I'm so pleased to see this progressing. I'm so pleased to see it uh, getting closer and closer. My name is, is there on the tail fit, because even though, you know, it was it was rebuilt up by Ian Warhurst, uh, it was it was saved there, and then they, they moved bases and all sorts of stuff uh, in well, during that sort of period when they were a bit quiet, uh, they have kept everybody's everybody's names for the the tail fin, which is really cool of them because they don't strictly speaking they don't need to. But I think that it would be a large PR cost to not not have done it. Really, yeah. I'm looking forward to this. Yes, I really am. I love cool, clever engineering, and I like cool, clever British engineering even more. Yep. Moving on. Now, car insurance, and there are many ways in which we can possibly inadvertently void our car insurance. And there is an article from the Motoring Research here, which... Breathing, driving our cars, yes. uh, picking up the telephone to, to call the insurance company. There was a why in the day. <laughs> no, yes, quite. like that. There are things such as adding a sticker. Right? This is in the Motoring Research article. Adding a sticker that supports your favorite team could make your car insurance valid because that could make it more of a target for those who don't share the same affiliation. I'm a bit curious. These are pathetic, ridiculous excuses that's, for That's like saying, well, I don't like companies. your car, so I've beaten it up, therefore your, your insurance yeah. is valid. Surely it's the same sort of thing. Your car has a Toyota badge on it. They advertise things as self-driving hybrids. Therefore, I don't like Toyotas. Therefore, I'm going to beat it up. Hmm. Yeah, and... Oh, I don't like that, thank you. And paint protection film wrap is apparently another one. If you And also, you need to be careful, apparently, with the options you tick and how you declare that, making sure that you declare those to the insurance company because things like sporty seats, as we were saying at the Creamfields, where the cars in the Creamfields car park got stripped... And at least two of those were for their interiors. <laughs> if you don't tell them, you'll probably just get a standard interior back. But it's not. But you're ordering it for the manufacturer, so it never, you know, they, they never ask about optional extras or any of these things. Mm. So it's it's a ridiculous situation. And this is this is insurance companies finding new and impressive ways to not pay out. Yes, this just it seems to me it's to be pathetic. an article of. If you didn't think in car insurance was a bit of a racket, well, well hold the hold the beer. <laughs> Here's some confirmation. It's it's silly things like fitting winter tires in the winter. Yeah, I don't understand how any company would say actually we 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 add a premium because you fitted safer rubber. Yeah, the thing is that if you try and phone them up to tell, they'll pay you twenty pound char- charge for changing stuff. Yeah. So <sighs> if you, if you'd like to be cross about insurance, just randomly as opposed to anything else that we can be all get cross about at the moment, then uh, just click through on the link in the show notes. It doesn't take much to make us all mad about insurance. No, but this, is, this, isn't, this isn't a good look for the insurance company, I have to say, no, that, that we are legally obliged to take. Mm-hmm. 
Anyway. It'll be lawyers at the insurance co- companies. It'll be the, the sort of whole mess of everybody who's horrible. Yeah. yeah. Probably politicians as well. Well, talking of which, making us cross, let's let's go into fantasy land this week because we had Labour with their fantasy land last week. So let, let's hear let's hear a different, because we're a balanced. The balanced audio no, publishing. No, we don't <laughs> want to be balanced about this because it's stupid. So right at the minute, it's the uh, Conservative Party conference in Manchester. Yes, it's in Manchester, isn't it? Because mm. that's where all the posters are. In Manchester at the minute, and what they seem to be doing uh, is promising lots of everything to everybody. So, it seems that there's going to be £25 billion available magically from the magic money pot for the UK's road network improvement. Uh, and it's going to get underway in 2020. Mm. So, just far enough away that we might have forgotten about it. Uh, and this includes completion of the duelling of the A- A66 Transpennine, the A46 Newark Bypass... Uh, and uh, Manchester Sims Simster Island Interchange. That was probably very topical given they were in Manchester. The thing about all of this is is the people have been questioning some of the some of the the transport announcements recently and pointing out that actually it's a reannouncement of money that's already been allocated. And just judging by what they're starting with here, then it's quite possible that this is the same here. Yeah. So, so yes, there's there are many promises being made by politicians and lots of money being thrown around, but it's it's people are generally wondering whether it is new money or it's a reannouncement of the existing money for political benefit. Yeah, and the other thing we have to remember, as you said last week, in case anybody forgot, these are uh, conference pledges, therefore they may or may not ever become reality ever, ever, ever. It's not a bill in, in yeah, that's what it is. It's it's telling the people who already support them what they want to hear. Yes. That's what you've got to remember about conference. And and by the way, that's not a new reveal. That's a rewording significantly less wittily of, of Yes Minister from the, uh, the early to mid-1980s. So, <laughs> you know. There's nothing new here. It's a, that's at least thirty years old. So yes, the party will vote for you, whatever, whatever. Yep. Prime Minister. Yeah. Right. Come on. Let's let's talk about some more politicians. Uh, we kind of get the politics out of the way relatively quickly tonight. It's too scary if we dwell on them for too long. You see, we might actually say something highly political. <laughs> at the minute, it's fine because we're just classing it as we hate them all. <laughs> You voting green pot <laughs> from the motorcast. <laughs> Ban all the cars, everyone. Yes. That's what we're going to do. Ban all the cars. We'll, we'll rename ourselves the Scooter Podcast. <laughs> the Scooter, yes. <laughs> the Shared Mobility Podcast. <laughs> anyway, before it gets too ridiculous, come on. Politicians, carrying on the theme with politicians, and it is the news that a cross party group has asked for, or demanded, in fact, 30 new clean air zones to be set up across England. Now, they are they have members from London, Birmingham, Manchester, Bristol, Cambridge, blah, blah, blah. And they're all demanding... All the usual suspects. Yes. They're, <laughs> they're all demanding that there are clean air zones. In the article, again, from the motoring research, there is confirmation from the Royal College of Physicians that air pollution is thought to contribute to 36,000 deaths a year. Now again, that isn't. It isn't clear where those deaths are, or in what way it contributes, or anything like that. But it, or the percentage contribution in each case yes. and where they are distributed around the country. Yes, sorry, it's easy to throw quite large numbers about 
without understanding what is the relevance of those numbers to everything else. We're acknowledging that they're there, but let's not take it that that's the full story there. Mm -hmm. What what they want is these clean air zones, a bit similar to how London have done theirs. And let's not forget they're about to expand theirs to take up basically inside the uh, just basically most of London, which is going to be a nice money earner, just on fines if the the previous six months of the ULES zone is anything to go by. And mm. uh, amazingly, the local leaders have acknowledged that in the, and this is a quote from the Motion Research article, short term, they expect to make $6.5 billion in revenue. Hooray! Oops. Oh, oh, or not. No. <laughs> I don't know whether I applaud them for their honesty, that they're not pretending that it's just all about the air and there will be other benefits, or whether I'm horrified because $6.5 billion that... Uh, but but, the, but yeah. we have to. Mm, what I have mm, to then mm, also mm, say mm. is, a lot of the revenue that comes from the charges is ploughed into, in particular in London, they are ploughing that, and I presume this would be copied elsewhere. They are ploughing it into funds to help people of low income and small, uh, medium sized businesses to afford low and zero emission vehicles. I don't know the full extent of how that's happening. And how easy it is and how much of a contribution we're talking about. So how, if you're on low income or if you're a small to medium sized enterprise, how, how much that helps. Mm -hmm. But the fact that they are acknowledging that this needs, that they are taking that money directly to put it into that, to, to try and create the cycle of cleaner vehicles to therefore help with the cleaner air, et cetera, et cetera. That is a good thing. I think so too. Much as I've scorned and mocked the, revenue side of things yes you have no it's good that there's is it good yes something something needs to be done Uh, you can't sit here and go something needs to be done and go this is all the wrong thing uh, without having something reasonable to say yourself as as long as people aren't going to get penalized who can't afford any other option and where who for whom there are no viable realistic options through public yeah. transport. That has always been my problem with any of these congestion charges or the clean air charges mm-hmm. is that it, it penalizes the poor who are who are just at the point where all they can afford is is the car that is actually polluting and is not yeah. and you can never get to the point where they can get something clean. And London's an exception in this, of course, because because London has so many alternatives is actually you know, a, a reasonable alternative. You know, there are alternatives to the car in London. So just because something works in London doesn't necessarily mean it will work somewhere else in another city in the UK because London's public transport system is really exceptionally good. Yeah. It's dead easy to diss it, but it, it, it's 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 exceptionally good. Uh, it, and definitely the best in the UK by a, by a long shot. It's exceptionally good, but it's still not enough. But it's exceptionally good. Yeah, yeah, well, that's the ridiculousness. Yeah, but it's it's still not Switzerland. Right, do you want to tell us how smart you can be on a motorway, Alan? Smart motorways, inverted commas, yes. uh, inferred. Not trying to trigger anyone here. <laughs> are getting some safety improvements. Sadly, this isn't necessarily the return of a hard shoulder in a safe place all the way along the motorway. But the emergency areas in Yorkshire... Motorways in Yorkshire will get a makeover to improve safety. Aren't, aren't, aren't they lucky? So there'll be extra signs added to show distance to the next emergency area, which I think is a good thing. And 
there'll also be a marked out box showing where it's best to stop. Now I've seen this, I've seen this already in some places. I think it is on the M1. I think it already has that. I've seen it around the place anyway. And so the idea is also to make things clearer for drivers and also to make it easier for drivers to tell recovery teams where they are. Mm, yeah. Obviously, they, people are going to be discouraged from misusing these for taking mandatory brakes in your HGV and any of these uh, other fun things that we see at the sides of motorways. I wish it was all thought out and solved properly first, but it's good to say that, see that there are responses to the concerns that people have in some of the issues. I mean, the big one, of course, is people still driving through the red X's. Yeah. Uh, I saw a tweet about that today, and that that's the real worry, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, there was an incident recently where someone came to, you know, was in lane three and came to a halt. And I don't know how a hard shoulder could have solved that. No. At all. Well, this this is the problem. This is, this is the sort of... It, this is where um, I get a bit... I'm not quite fully on the side of people saying safe motorways, uh, smart motorways aren't safe because it is the responsibility of the drivers to have noticed a red cross and know they should not be in that lane. Yes, I, I think that there's driver education and people just being ignorant, more, ignorant morons not paying attention is a major issue yeah, here. The, the fact that people are poor drivers doesn't necessarily mean the concept of the smart motorway is not correct. No, I agree with that. I, I agree with you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the, the the problem is not the motorway. The problem is driver education and uh, maintaining that, that driver education. Yeah. Uh, by the way, they're talking about upgrading. There's 50-something, 50 56 emergency areas in the roads uh, on the M1 between junctions 28 and 35A, uh, plus another couple, and also the M62 between uh, junctions 25 and 30. Mm -hmm. They're trying to upgrade 347 in total with 150 done so far. So they, they're getting there. And in future, they'll be putting the emergency areas much closer together. They're a mile and a half apart right at the moment, but they're going to shrink that down to, to a mile maximum. Which I think will help. I think so too, yes. Guilt minute. The news has not been wonderfully discussable lately. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but don't worry, folks. It'll be back to normal next week, because next week are the SMMT figures. We can spin yes. that out for at least two or three hours. Don't you worry. Oh, we could. We could make it so much worse than it really is. Uh, it is relatively quiet news-wise right at the moment. It's quiet because Japanese um, Tokyo Motor Show is coming up. Hence, everyone writing about that small electric Nissan, the purple electric Nissan. Rose it's, gold. It's everywhere because that's... Was it? Rose gold. <laughs> it looks gold. rose oh. gold. <laughs> it does. So that's why everyone has written about that because that was like the only the only press release of the day that wasn't about MG opening a new dealership or any of the other stuff that we don't bring you every week. Yes. In the meantime, this is this was really meant to be guilt minute rather than whinge about the news minute, which is that point of the show where we remind you to think about and consider what the motoring podcast is worth to you. If you feel it's worth a small amount of your hard-earned cash, then please head to motoringpodcast.com and click on the orange Become a Patron button right on the front page. If you're already a patron, then thank you so, so much. We understand that not everyone has the ability to do this, so please don't forget to like, rate, and leave feedback via the podcast player of your choice. If you've done all that, then you truly are wonderful. But how's about accosting a friend who you think would enjoy this and telling them all about us? Uh, if for some reason you don't actually subscribe to the show, 
then how's about doing so for free by using a podcast player? You can summon us direct to your mobile phone without running over anyone else in the car. No, 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 that's not what I'm saying. Uh, without any of the anxiety and worry that you might miss the next news show. Uh, well, I'm doing so well about not making fun of Tesla Summon actually tonight. So tempting, so tempting. Do subscribe. Do use a decent podcast player. By decent podcast player, we, we mean not Spotify. Uh, if you need any help with that, and um, if you need any help with that, and need any recommendations, no matter what your telephone platform, then do give us a give us a shout and let us know uh, all the contact details as usual at the end of the show. That made me sound almost professional, like Philip Schofield. Yes, and for those patrons that are enjoying in inverted commas watching the live, watching us record this live, recently it as it has been pretty horrific and we acknowledge that and we are very sorry we are still trying to find a solution as we were saying uh, before we pressed record on this podcast in the four years we've been going the last month or so have been the worst we've had in trying to talk to each other and record the show thanks to the way a large american company has decided to change how they do things which has been very helpful for us <laughs> Mm-hmm. So we're very sorry, everyone, and we are we are really trying to find a solution because, trust us, you may be quite frustrated. You are not as frustrated as we are. If if you want to hear me say, hear and see me say many, many swear words, which I don't normally use in the recording of the podcast, then then become a patron and scroll back through the Patreon post to, to this week and last week's. In fact, you can't hear me last week. This week, you can hear me twice, I believe. Yes. <sighs> Anyway, happier stuff. Formula E-ing. Anyway, back to our scheduled programming. Formula E and Porsche has signed Simona Di Silvestro and Thomas Pining as their Formula E support drivers. Mm-hmm. So they've been confirmed as the test and development drivers for the new Tag Her Porsche Formula E team. And they'll be supporting uh, alongside Andre Lotterer and Neil Yanni. So uh, you'll remember Simona de Silvestre has actually uh, raced in 12 Formula E races and had two points finishes uh, in 2016 with and- Andretti. Uh, she is a she's a full Porsche factory driver now and will be attending some of the races in her new role. Excellent. Not long to go now. No, no, not... not re- well, it's December, isn't it? November. A couple of months. Is it November? It's going to be the end of November, oh, isn't December. it? Because they've added a few more races, and I think it's That's the day, I'm... possibly day night, but we find out Friday, possibly maybe, if the calendar committee have met to discuss the calendar. I'm sorry. I'm thinking about version one of the calendar, which hasn't been confirmed yet, and not version 34 of the calendar that hasn't been confirmed yet. <laughs> So one thing we do know that's happening, though, is Wales Rally GB this weekend. No, no, come on. No, 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 no. It's Andy Murray rules. It's WRC GB. There's no Wales mentioned in this because it's a good event and we all like it, so we can only mention Great Britain. (laughs) And it starts in Liverpool and it goes to Alton Park and then it does most of these stuff in North Wales. So let's be honest, it is Wales. (laughs) It's the mostly Wales Rally GB then. And if you're going, I'd suggest you take your waders. Not your wellies, your waders, because it's going to be a smidgen muddy. It's been, uh, I've had uh, confirmation from people on the ground, incredibly wet was the polite way I'll put that, (laughs) they told me. 
very moist in the ground. And you said, thanks, Mom. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> they live halfway up a mountain and they've got a boat now. <laughs> yeah. Oh, gee. But it's not, the winds are meant to be l- to be a bit lower, but come the weekend, but it's going to be wet and it's going to be muddy. And if you're going as a spectator, then do take a um, four by four with decent tires, I think is probably a good idea as well. Yep. Yeah. And they're saying that the weather, Esapeka Lappi uh, for Citroen was saying that the changeable weather is part of the challenge this week and that it's an iconic test. Yeah. Let's see what he's saying by the end of it, shall yes. we? <laughs> well, hopefully there isn't going to be the sharp stones issues. It's just going to be merely we got stuck in the mud and came off into a ditch, I presume. Hmm. As I was when I was uh, flicking the motorsport to to bring this this story up this week, I noticed that somebody I don't have a story in front of me, and I'm not going to go digging. That somebody was saying that they really should be running run flats for Turkey because it's just not funny. I'm paraphrasing slightly. Oh, that's an interesting point. Actually, that's probably worthwhile doing. Yeah, because that everybody got hammered, and it's yeah, not like it those. So bad it's, it's not like those tires got a bit of a puncture, and that was it. They just they got completely ripped off, and it destroyed the wing. Yeah, it was it was it was absolutely it was absolutely tra- trashed. Uh, the the stories have changed, so I, I now can't can't tell. Oh, there we go. It was uh, Tommy Mackinnon that was saying it. WRC needs run flat style tires for Turkey. Mm. Says Mackinnon. Oh, that was two weeks ago, mate. Okay, do you want to tell us about this frankly bonkers lunch idea that was the lunchtime read? Sorry, because I kind of commandeered Andrew's story just there, which was a bit rough of me. But yeah, this week's lunchtime read is a cracker from Max Finkel on Jalopnik. Max is one of the weekend editors for Jalopnik, and that tends to be when I have the time to to sort of sit and browse through and, and, and find the, the crazy stuff. But he's written a piece on the Ford's 1958 Nucleon concept, which was a way of using up, essentially a way of of using up decommissioned military material with an E to to use atoms for peace was the was the name of the the, the idea. Uh, the was it Gerald Ford, Eisenhower, Pres- or was it President Eisenhower? And the the atoms for peace, which was to try and you know literally turn bombs into plowshares. And one of the outcomes of this was the Ford Nucleon concept, which is, I think it's wonderful. I think it's full-on Jetsons. Yeah, well, it. I don't know whether it, the times were more optimistic or more desperate. I can't work out. But to to think that, because we've got this whole idea that nuclear fission is, is the ultimate aim. If we can get nuclear fission energy to work, then all our energy problems are solved and it'll be green and et cetera, et cetera. And I just get the feeling that perhaps this was from that sort of thought that, oh, this can be a, can be for so much good. And it, and it was a, mm-hmm. a pod, largely positive idea rather than the insane idea of sticking radioactive material in a car. <laughs> yeah. Oh, like slung out over the back of it. Yeah. Cause it's all right. Cause they've made the car a little bit longer and they've put the, the, the driver and one passenger way up the front. So it's, they'll be fine because they're further away. <laughs> it's not just that. If you read the article, the article does go into some of that, which is part of it is about balancing out the weight because, of course, you've got all the all the lead shielding. <laughs> it needs to go at the back. So what's the Nürburgring time for that? <laughs> yeah, it was swappable power packs and all that kind of thing. So that whole flat power pack bit at the back could come out and a replacement... A replacement reactor go in, basically. But yeah, I think it's 
it's it's really cool. It's the ultimate of the space age type concepts as far as I'm concerned. And I didn't know quite a lot of what I what I know about it now. Yeah. Uh before I, I spent sort of fifteen minutes reading this. So I mean I think that design, if we if we talk about design uh, as particularly cars as representing culture which so many people are doing now and are confirming it is it is very much from the optimistic spaceships there's a there's a future to go out and explore and all this sort of stuff and from that point that's why i got a bit con- that's why i'm a bit conflicted with the it's optimistic yet it's insane oh yeah i didn't say it wasn't insane. no i know you didn't but so it's the ultimate in cab forward thinking really yes <laughs> well, you can get you could get a really good uh Overhang of a caravan over the back of that. <laughs> a really long you could, trailer. Couldn't you? It's fine. And what you do is you put the cooker in at the front, and then yes. all the heat. It's not a microwave. No, it's a gamma wave, darling. I'll just put the roast in. Ding. Oh, there it is. But the turkey only had two legs when it went in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, right. Enough nuclear jokes. <laughs> yes. Andrew, list of the week, on you go, and I won't commandeer this. Well, I might. List of the week is from supercars.net, and it is the 41 forgotten supercars of the 1990s. And there are some crackers on here. Some I did remember, but there are things like the Aston Martin V8 Vantage V600. It's very, mm-hmm. very specific. Uh, we also can remember, which I think we all probably do remember, the uh, Lister Storm. There's the Marcos, which just looks fabulous and ridiculous yeah. all at once. And then there's things like the Venturi 400 GT. Um, anyone who's played a, a driving game will remember the Cerbera Speed 12, though. Yeah. The, but the best part of this list, can I highlight the best part, please? Go on, then. The best part is actually the bit that's below that, because that doesn't give you the top 40. That only gives you, like, 20-something, 20 27 or something. It's 27, that is, yeah. There's, it's the one below. So it wasn't the, it wasn't the list I would have chosen originally. It was actually the 14, but in the same page as part of the same list is the 14 crazy 1990 supercars that almost made it. Mm. And I think what's really cool about this is that most of them are mostly forgotten. Yep. And they really are obscure. They are. And this is all, can't remember the chap's name now. Is it Nikola Kulazar? He's on Twitter, and he... It was a guess what the wheel is and what it was off. All right. And so I were, I knew what the brand was, because he hadn't sort of blurred it out properly. So I knew it was Nenki. And it turned out it was the wheel of a Gigliato Erosa. So it was a little bit of Google searching to just try and find weird 90 supercars. And this page came up. And the whole page is fantastic. It really is. It's such a good list because it's none of the obvious stuff. It's none of the silliness. It's a cracking list. But I want people to scroll all the way down. You do. You do need to look at all of them because out of all this list of 41, I I remember probably 10 at most. Because when you get into that, that second list that Alan's just talked about, there is some real obscure stuff in there. Uh, yeah. But I'm just that uh, Gigliata Erosa. Is that is the pass is the drivers or you know the side windows? Is that from the Subaru? Now 
So whenever I saw this, I actually thought it was a Giorgetto Giugiaro, uh Ital design mm. because of that window in window setup, like a Subaru SVX, like many of his other many of his other designs. But it turns out not because not only are they in the the list here, by the way, that you can actually click on the Learn More, and there is a full page for each of these really really obscure cars with loads of pictures and loads of specs. Mm. So, um, it, it turns out, no, it turns out it was styled in Japan. It was designed and conceived in Japan by Nobu Nakamura. But I would have said it was a, if, it looks like it's done by Ital Design. Yeah. Mustang V8 at the back. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it, this is a cracking list. There's some, there's some stunning and some horrifying cars on here. <laughs> oh, yeah. There's some absolute munters. There are some, there are some that you go, you did that in a garage, didn't you? <laughs> I know the Mosler Consulier GTP is just it's just bad but that BMW Nazca M12 uh, but it wasn't actually BMW it was Ital Design again but that, that looks oh, great oh somebody will correct me for that I'm sure it's Ital Design it looked amazing it was the idea was that it was a, a BMW M1 for the 1990s uh, yeah it was Ital Design so I'm just looking and scanning as I talk now, no no the one that's pictured Nazca- was- they did was a NASCAR, by, yeah, it was well, by Giugiaro, and then they've come back and made a couple. Ital made a couple mm. as well. Where they, they, they tweaked did, They it. did that a bit at, at that time, but there was a C2. There was a second version, which was a kind of ready orangey color, if I remember correctly. Because the, the Ferrari FZ93 looks like it was built in a shed. Is it up or down? Down, number nine in the second oh, list. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that is yeah. not... Uh, considering that era of Ferrari... And they were generally quite nice looking, if a little bit bland. That's just bad. <laughs> well, I call the Spada and Zagato, so so that kind of explains it. They they were not. It's not good, though, is it? And how and how modern does the Aspas F1 concept look now? Still, it still looks so good. clean. Those so clean. Those Mark II Aspas still look good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. still look good. I love the way that we've gone to a list of obscure supercars and we're talking about the Renault Espace. Good, huh? <laughs> That's called doing it properly. Mm-hmm. But it, the Espace F1 still looks fantastic. Yep. Just just crazy. Right, come on. And finally, us. Uh, uh, yeah, and finally this week is is as ridiculous as almost as that last story, really. But there is uh, a company showing off the, a radio-controlled car that you can drive in real time as if you're in it from a, a sort of gaming gaming seat and steering wheel, uh, and you can still drive it around the place. It, it's not a commercial proposition, sadly. It is it is a company called Voices who specialise in, uh, according to the story on the drive, low latency live video solutions. Uh, and the idea is that they're using this as as a way of showing off what they can do. So traditionally, the issue from this, from having a camera mounted on top of a radio-controlled car, to it getting back to the steering wheel, to you turning it, to the, the, to, to the, the data feed going back to the radio-controlled car to then turn the wheels, would mean there was too much latency. And boy, do we know about latency this evening. There was too much latency. Uh, it means there was too much latency between that. So by the time you've reacted, then the car would be passed or into the obstacle or whatever, uh, well past the point. So they're showing off how clever they can be with these things. Um, the idea being that it can be used for remotely operated equipment. 
ultimately. So, for example, uh, equipment going into mines, into hazardous areas, forestry equipment, where there's a high risk of rollover on a hill and things. So it's essentially a cheapish simulator-type idea, where even if it's over a moderately decent connection, or, or, or a not particularly great connection, uh, then the latency is still short enough that you can still... Uh, it's like using a forwarder, so you can you can wheel around in the cab. You can you can uh, you can pick up a bundle of logs. Uh, if it's a harvest uh, wood harvesting machine, for example, it would do the whole um, stripping the trunk, cutting it to size. But you can do that remotely because those are really quite hazardous because the weight keeps moving around on those, and they're operating on slopes. It's a high risk of rollover. Uh, and they're quite far to get to, so it takes an hour and a bit for everyone to get out to work in the morning, hour and a bit to get back at night. Whereas this way, you could keep on working them. Similarly with mines, you could have uh, machines down mines, uh, which you're operating from somewhere on the surface, which means it's far less dangerous if there's a cave-in, it's any of these things, and just getting people down and back up and air supplies and all that kind of thing becomes less of an issue. So it's really cool, the whole idea, and there's a video on the link showing this off, uh, so of uh, this this sort of teleoperation of uh, a radio control car, but it's actually got quite a serious use. But I thought it was really cool. Yeah, using it in commercial areas where there are no humans wandering about, perfect use, perfect use. You'll notice I said that it's not driving along a highway or nope. anything like that. That's definitely not the aim. Any company that suggests that for AV testing is insane and should not be allowed to do that. I agree with you completely. No, that was a good pick, that. I'm glad we don't talk about Tesla on this, oh, not Tesla on this podcast, because that would be really awkward. Yeah. But someone who did talk about Tesla with you, and I got around to listening to it this afternoon, was Ed Niedermeyer. So the second part of Ed's rear view is out. If you haven't listened to it, many people have. Keep listening to it, folks. It's really good. So if you enjoyed the first part, and if you haven't listened to the first part, you, you will enjoy the first part. It's a, It's really, really interesting. Then the second part is just as good, if if not better. Ed, Ed is a fascinating person, and his perspective on things is really quite interesting. And his his philosophy and the way he likes to execute his journalism is also very interesting and refreshing and reassuring, actually. But there was so much stuff that you just didn't have a chance to oh, talk about. No, but you mentioned so quickly. I, know. I mean, there's tons of stuff. It, could have been an entire day of chat, easily. Yes. Easily. If I felt uh, particularly so, cruel to I don't to know. <laughs> yeah, there might be. Well, he seemed to. He sounded like he was enjoying it. He must be a pretty good actor. Yes. So I don't know. I don't know. There's going to be some way to, to talk Ed into, into, into some more chat at some point. And there will be a special edition out on Friday. There will. And you would chosen one, but yeah. Yep. We've cho- chosen one. We've got such a backlog that we, we actually have chosen Yes. One. More to record. Lots more. And we're trying to set up more as well to uh, to go out and do. Yes, yes, because we are complete and total masochists. <laughs> no, it's great. I love to. I love doing the special editions, and I have. I mean, I have the, my monster one is, is yet to be done. Still, don't record special editions when you've, which involve beer. I think is the is the message here. Beer and not as much sleep as you would normally get because then everything takes a bit longer. Well, that's that's going to be a bit of a trick later in the year then if think, if plans come off. Well, that's true. That's true. But there's um, it won't be like that though. No, but it's called le- it's called learning lessons. It'll be worse. <laughs> no, it'll be bad. It'll be bad. Anyway. 
that pretty much rounds us up for this week, doesn't it? It does indeed. I think so. Don't forget to now and next week and give us any feedback and share your thoughts show at Motoring Podcast on Twitter and Instagram, on Facebook, and on the contact page of motoringpodcast.com, the hub of all our activities. Remember our patron offer available at motoringpodcast.com slash support. And please leave a review and rating on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or however your podcast app lets you do such a thing. It really does matter. Andrew, what's the best way of people to summon you? Best way to get in touch with me on a remote operated uh, app is via Twitter. If you search for Crack Windscreen, you should find me there. And Alan, if people would like to get in touch with you and ask why haven't we discussed Tesla, what is the best way for them to get in touch with you? Well, Twitter is the best way. <laughs> well, I'm at AJP Bradley, B-R-A-D-L-E-Y. Uh, we'll be back next week. But until then, and unless we crash into something in a parking lot, I've been Alan Bradley. I've been Andrew Clues. And safe motoring.